0: This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by David Nora's novel, Slasher Crasher. It was the night he tried to go home, but he got caught in their drama. It's Halloween. Nick Roche, a towering figure of evil and stupidity, escapes from the upstate New York mental hospital he's been committed to for the past five years. Planning return to his childhood home where he brutally murdered his babysitter's boyfriend, his plans are halted when he crossed paths with an even more terrifying beast two high school friends with some serious beef. Caught in a battle of loyalty that's been brewing for ten years of their friendship, the two girls, Kathleen Strife and Betsy Coleman, force the feud into a savage showdown, pitting the escape monster against each other. Who will survive this epic deathmatch, and is it totally wrong to fall in love with the murderous lunatic who just tried to kill your ex-best friend with a machete? It's Mean Girls meets Halloween! Slasher Crasher is available at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, and, and blackrosewriting.com. Also, uh, if you send a proof of purchase, this is pretty cool, if you send a proof of purchase, like a screenshot of, of your purchase confirmation to david.nora.jr, that's nor dot j-r, at gmail.com, he's going to send you a free digital thank you postcard with original artwork uh, of your choice. Uh, you get either the final girl gone bad... The final bitch or the final gay. You can find Slasher Crasher at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and and BlackRoseWriting.com.
1: Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore, your puny heart can handle. (laughs) Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim.
2: Hello again, fiends, and happy Halloween! I'm John. I'm Kim.
0: I was going to cut in and do that. I was I'm like,
2: Dracul. <laughs> I'm Dracul.
0: <laughs> uh, we're joined today by the, the ghost of Bella Lugosi. I can't do a Bella Lugosi
2: impression, so please don't set me up to my, do one. My
0: Bella Lugosi impression is literally just the the hand. <laughs> That's it, which plays real good and on the a podcast. And the cape
2: if you were to wear one on occasion.
0: By the way, can we just talk for a quick second nope. about <laughs> Dracula 1931 because we watched it again recently? And in the beginning when Dracula and his brides are coming out of the crypt, there's also Amazing. a vampire spider, right? Because a little spider comes out of a teeny little coffin. I love it. I think he's the world's smallest vampire.
2: Oh. We are recording at you live from the RV, as we have been for the last month or so, Uh, Because we live here now. Yeah. We are officially spooky nomads.
0: Permanent nomads. Uh, We
2: are currently in Walt Disney World. We are at the Walt Disney World campgrounds. Our dog is here, so if you hear the snorts, you know it's it's status quo now. Like, you hear the snorts, you know she's with us. She's literally looking at me with sad eyes because I promised her a treat if she would be quiet.
0: It's a fully immersive (laughs) experience.
2: (laughs) Um, But it is Romero-ween. We are celebrating... The spookiest day of the year with three of the most iconic horror films of all time. We are talking about Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead... And Day of the Dead. Probably our biggest episode undertaking in quite a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So uh I don't
2: know why we were planned this huge ass episode for being on the road. Apologies if this episode comes out a little bit late. We have a lot of editing ahead of us.
0: Yeah, that was the it was a big undertaking. Plus we got a lot going on right now. It's real hard to to take away We yourself have tickets away.
2: for Disney World right yeah, now. Yeah I know. <laughs> I hope you know how much we love you. Don't say it like that. <laughs>
0: but but it's true. Uh yeah, no it's it's taken a lot to edit this episode, which is fine. Uh it's it's a great episode. I hope you like it. It's one that I've been looking forward to doing since we started the podcast. It's
2: been a long time coming.
0: Yeah. And the the the, the problem is these movies are intimidating. Every single person has what said What is there to
2: be to, exactly. sa- to be said about Night of the Living Dead? Yeah. Hopefully we've done something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> At the very least I hope we make you laugh. Kim though, before we get started, What's keeping you creepy this I thought
2: week? We, I thought we talked about it. Did we? We're at Disney World. It's just Disney? I'm going to Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party.
0: I guess not much else has happened. We uh, camped out at a few Walmart parking lots. It was kind of scary. Not great. <laughs> Definitely scary. keeping us creepy. Um, a few other campgrounds, and then Disney! Yeah, so
2: we have Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. Uh, it's kind of a nice little gift for me because I'm a huge wuss. And then next week we're hitting up... Halloween Horror Nights. It is our first ever time at Halloween Horror Nights. Very excited. We've done Universal at Halloween time ish before, so we've kind of seen Universal's Halloween look but we've never done horror nights I also really want to do the daytime tours I'm gonna to figure out how we can get on that oh yeah totally to do the lights on walkthrough of the haunted houses because the set design and all of the you're gonna miss all oh, the craft. oh I'm so excited yeah
0: just like walking through at night you're not gonna see everything
2: also I'm, like, I'm a wuss so it's gonna give me a nice that'll help it's gonna give me a nice edge
0: which is funny because we uh, you know under, under your direction have been on the Tower of Terror four times we went
2: on it by ourselves it, it was, was the so most great. amazing thing ever it's, I think it's because I bought a Tower of of terror hat so they were very nice to me as a fellow employee, Got that employee discount <laughs> yeah. it oh this was one so can cool. die for free yeah <laughs> the, but the weirdest thing so i don't know if you guys have been on tower of terror bunch uh and i feel sorry for you guys in california because you do not have tower of terror anymore but there's one spot in the tower of terror ride where it stops in the darkness do you remember this i honestly I and there think was it's... like a scene in the middle of the drop
0: I think uh I have a feeling that it might be somewhere behind the Hollywood Tower of Terror sign. Oh. Cuz it looked weird. There was a But like we stopped there. and There stuff. was
2: like a girl ghost thing.
0: It's every time you go on this thing it's different. It it's, is different. That's what's cool about it. The drops are different, the scenes are different. Um the <laughs> the
2: doors open differently. The
0: squirrels dropping acorns on the top of the <laughs> RV are different. <laughs> Uh, but also, of course, we've been on the Haunted Mansion twice. We're going to go on it two more times at least today. I'm so excited. We have a fast in-
2: pass for 4 o'clock. we got to hurry up. Yeah, it's Mecca <laughs>
0: for horror weirdos. Like, you got to make the trek every once in a while. Oh, my
2: God, and that Haunted Mansion store. Oh, we're going to be so poor by the end of today. The Definitely. They have dog stuff. They have a squeaky toy of Madame Leota. How can I not?
0: You know, it's it's interesting that the one place where we would like to recklessly spend money it is very hard to get alcohol like the mag- <laughs> the magic kingdom is is like almost a dry county Especially compared to all the other Disney resorts Yeah,
2: because they're just like, you want a beer here? We sell ice cream and beer You're like, this is my place This is where I belong
0: (laughs) But yeah, definitely gonna just deposit all of our funds into that store All of of
2: our funds, yeah, because we have funds Okay, fine, we're gonna gonna
0: increase our debt at the store
2: It'll be fun Yeah, this this entire trip has been an experiment in stretching our credit limit
0: (laughs) Yeah, basically Let's
2: see how much the banks trust us We're just doing charges all over America (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, let's see where we hit rock bottom <laughs> Bank of Montreal's like I don't think They're in Can- they're coming back to Canada <laughs> Oh, oh no. boy Gonna
0: have to send the Mounties to find us
2: That's uh, the true horror of this week
0: <laughs> yeah. Spe- uh, Speaking of horror What's hitting the theaters this weekend Robert Eggers, The Lighthouse
2: Yeah, we're gonna try to catch that at Acorns yeah. uh, At Disney Springs like, Yeah, yeah Disney's it's at the MC fun party center for adults
0: Hopefully this AMC doesn't also have 20 minutes of trailers. Oh,
2: stop complaining. It was weeks ago. It is a
0: silly amount of trailers. (laughs) Uh, If you want to hear me really complain about it, though, we have a uh, Patreon-exclusive Drive Home from the Drive-In review of Zombieland Double Tap. That feels
2: like ages ago. Feels like ages ago. Was that last week? I think so. We were in Pennsylvania when we saw it? Yes, we were. That's so far away from here.
0: Not nuts about it. But, I mean, we weren't really big fans of the original Zombieland, so take that as you will. If you love the first Zombieland, I think you might like this one a lot. Also, uh, a movie that we definitely can recommend because we haven't seen The Lighthouse. We've heard nothing but amazing things. In fact, we have a really good review on the site right now. Uh, write out a tiff f- from our reviewer, Danita, if you want to check it out. Just go to nofspodcast.com, search The Lighthouse. Didn't she
2: give it, like, a really high percentage? Our
0: very first 100% rated review on the website. That's so cool. Yeah, very cool. But this weekend, in select theaters, uh, and you can come into VOD and whatnot, uh, it's Travis Stevens, The Girl on the Third Floor. Hits theaters this Friday. Definitely recommend checking it out. It's a fun horror movie.
2: It's pretty gross. Haunted oh, it's house got movie. some gross stuff in it. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, but we're not going to keep you much longer here in the intro because there is three movies on the docket today. We have a whole slew of Halloweeny happenings. I hope you did your research, i.e., watch those movies. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and even not even if you didn't. I mean, Night of the Living Dead is on TV always, so uh, especially this time of year. Um, it's also Public Domain, which is a real sad story, but you can watch it on YouTube for free right now, uh, if you want to get caught up or watch it after the fact. Either way, three movies we are all definitely very familiar with. I don't think you need to know much going in if you haven't seen them. They're zombies! Woo! Uh, and zombies done better than you've ever seen before.
2: Let's get started. I was Dracula again. (laughs)
0: Zombies are the real creatures of the night. (laughs) And oh, what moans they make. (laughs) Let's talk about George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to a night of
3: total terror.
1: (laughs) Night
3: of the living dead, the dead who live on living flesh, the dead whose haunted souls hunt the living, the living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures.
2: Starting with Night of the Living Dead from 1968, currently sitting at a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and a 4.0 out of 5 on Letterboxd.
0: Very high Letterboxd rating.
2: I think that's one of our highest Letterboxd. I think
0: you're that right.
2: Letterboxd's that we've ever done on this podcast.
0: <laughs> so, Kim, um... I want to say something right now that I think will make you a little more comfortable about talking about a very iconic movie that everyone has seen and loves.
2: What is that?
0: This is my first time seeing it from beginning to end. Watching it for this podcast is the first time that I have sat down and watched this movie from beginning to end.
2: I think that's probably true for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. It's always on TV. It's... It's always, it's in every movie collection you ever buy. If you buy, if you buy a DVD pack that's got more than five movies on it, Night of the Living Dead is one of them.
2: Oh, yeah, or if you buy any, like, horror, like, Masters of Horror, classic horror movies, it's like um, The Raven, uh, something else with Vincent Price in it, and Night of the Living Dead.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's one movie they had rights for, and then a whole slew of other, f- you know, free-to-the-public-domain f- films. I've seen every scene of this movie before, mm-hmm. just never in the order that it's intended.
2: Well, and we've also seen the play.
0: <laughs> yeah! We saw a play that was pretty great.
2: It was pretty wonderful.
0: It was really weird. It uh, Just real quick, without getting too much into it, uh, it, was, it was done in black and white. All the makeup, all the sets, everything looked awesome. Uh, the first half of the play was pretty much the whole movie, and then the second half was just multiple different endings, like how things could have gone differently before everybody died. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, that was fun. I would I would totally do that again. Do
0: you remember the first time you saw this movie? Oh no. Yeah. So
2: this is this is like a phenomenon movie. And it's it is the movie that every single fictional character in a horror movie is watching on Halloween night. Oh yeah. It is or it's just the the horror movie that's always on TV in in other media. So, like, I've seen this movie more times through other content than I've actually...
0: That's a really good point.
2: ...participated in watching this film. Like, oh, they're yeah. coming to get you, Barbara. Is... Y- what movie am I quoting? I'm quoting every film from 1980 to now. Oh,
0: snap. <laughs> That's so true. Um, and for good reason, though. This movie holds up.
2: It's... it's yeah, it's iconic for a reason.
0: Yeah, it's, it's surprisingly watchable in 2019 like that's that's not anything anybody doesn't know and heads up there's there's nothing we're gonna say on this podcast about this movie that you haven't already heard before everybody's told you it's great everybody's told you why it's culturally important we're just here to also say those things (laughs) but most of all that we really like it you know like blair witch project um or or open water for that matter um
2: why open water?
0: Because today, the oh. day we are recording this, just so happens to be the anniversary of open water. Um, it's just a brilliant use of a very low budget. There's nothing to this movie. And uh, and also just for the time, the scares I can see why this movie was so terrifying back in 1968, mm-hmm. they still work now. It's still eerie and creepy to look at.
2: Well, and also it's a nihilistic movie at a period where media was not nihilistic at all, everybody was living Pleasantville lives on their TV screens, and mm. and you had um everybody was the Brady's bu- the Brady bunch yeah, and then you have this. George A. Romero zombie movie that's premiering in theaters before there's even like an MPAA rating. So kids were able to buy tickets to see this.
0: I think the majority of the audience was kids, wasn't it? Yeah, getting
2: fucking traumatized. Because
0: back then, horror movies were still considered for kids. They weren't, real serious Well, movies. yeah, and
2: apparently horror movies would always premiere as matinees, so they were always the noon movie.
0: Can you imagine? This,
2: that was That's kid hour. Yeah. <laughs> Especially during the summer. Like, can you imagine? You're just it turning would have been del- all kids. Oh,
0: every single one of those delinquents who'd skipped school. I guess it would have been summertime. What are we talking about? But yeah, uh, this movie descended on Philadelphia and then just spread out across the rest of the country like a dark cloud. It's gory for the time. And I wonder if 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 this movie's scarier. It's gory for now. It's it is gory <laughs> just for now. It's black and
2: white so you're like, mmm, chocolate sauce. <laughs> so does does having it
0: be black and white, having it black and white, does that make it scarier for you? Do you think a colorized version of this movie would have been better?
2: Uh, I'm going to say
0: I think maybe uh, it's hard. It's hard cuz it would it would definitely date it more in 2019.
2: Being in color? Yeah. Um...
0: Special effects would have been a little more Oh, dynamic, I see like what
2: that. you mean. Uh, I think the fact that it's black and white makes it feel older than it is. So, like, it almost feels like it's... Even though the characters are styled to the 60s, like, Barbara is so 60s and adorable. Oh,
4: yeah.
2: Uh, her little bouffant, I love it. It almost feels like a film set in the 30s. So it almost feels like it's a period piece already, even though they're kind of doing, like, the sci-fi nuclear thing. Yeah. But the... This, the fact that it's black and white and there's some really fun skewed angles, like, uh, George A. Romero really loves diagonal angles, especially when there's, like, a weapon in the foreground and you have, like, a, a character screaming in the background or you have, like, Barbara clutching to the the tombstone. The angles get really fun and skewed and it's almost like the cabinet of Dr. Calgary. Like, oh, shit. Like, it makes the angles deranged. Okay. Uh, which if it was in color, I don't think would be as effective because you need, um, like, a- like angular, weird, skewed angles pairs really well with black and white.
0: Yeah, there's also, I mean, I've, I might have brought this up on the podcast before, so I apologize, but I'll be quick. Roger Ebert, um, in, in his memoir, was talking about how black and white films, uh, film in general, uh, is a fake reality. And you have to sort of accept that going in. And the reason why black and white film will always be better than color in his eyes at least, is that nowhere in reality is are things black and white, visually. So when you watch a black and white movie, you're already accepting that this isn't real and this is fantasy.
2: Mm, so, like it's a subconscious yeah. way to, um, like you've already suspended your belief this exactly, far. Exactly, yeah. I like that. And it has
0: a dreamlike quality yeah. where you can get away with a lot more.
2: I really like that. I
0: like that a lot too. And I think that's maybe why horror works so much because like your dreams could just as easily be cast in black and white. Hmm. Just in the sense that they're not necessarily real, but Fuck, they are just good. as effective. I know. Like, that's why. That's why I'm sure I've brought it up on the podcast before oh because I can't get it out of my head.
2: I love that. I
0: told somebody about that the other week <laughs> when they, they they just said they like black and white movies. I'm Like, hey, have you read Roger Ebert's memoir? Because I'm about to tell it to you. Yeah.
2: It's the weird thing is, Night of the Living Dead for me at least doesn't exist in time and space. And it's a vacuum. Part of that might be, one, it's so iconic. It It's kind of transcended what it is. Uh, it represents zombies as, like, a whole. Um, but the fact that it became public domain prematurely before its time, just due to, like, some copyright fuck-up. Super sad. And it's black and white, when it, and it came out in a period when most films were color. When we were watching Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark in the theater, and they were watching Night of the Living Dead at the drive-in, mm-hmm. and you were the one that brought this up when we were recording the Patreon episode, they were watching it, like, opening weekend. Oh, yeah. They were watching it when it came out for the first time. And for me, that was the first time I'd seen Night of the Living Dead, like, placed in time. Oh, shit! In a way I could tangibly visualize. I see what you're saying. I always knew, like, Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Like, you, you always write it with the year in brackets. But in my head, I've never... Visualize like the world it was released into, because I've always pictured it as a like a much older film. Yeah, and it's so scrappy and so basic; it could have been a really old film.
0: You know, it's funny with all of the 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 news footage and the radio stuff. It it already has an older quality to it. Yeah, it's almost like a radio play. Yeah, so much of the inf- the background information could just as easily be gathered if you had your eyes closed.
2: You could close your eyes and yeah. watch Night of the Living Dead. You hell could.
0: yeah, you could.
2: Oh man, but yeah, I just think it's it's timeless on its own.
0: I I agree with you, but in in terms of like the world that it got dropped into, so like it's coming into 1968. the The world is what it was at that time, unfortunately. What's what what I found really interesting this watch, uh, is <laughs> this watch. My first watch. Two of the biggest images you see at the beginning, while the car is coming up to the cemetery with with Barbara and Johnny, is a. Cemetery approaching sign, or, or cemetery gates, or something, uh, and it's riddled with bullets because good, some good old boys have just been shooting at
2: it. <laughs>
0: uh, and then the, the next sort of establishing shot is watching the car come through the cemetery, and we're focusing on an American flag that's in the in the cemetery that somebody has just placed at a tombstone. So, like, those are, like, the two images that we're going off of, right? We've got America's dead, America's bullets, America's favored choice for making people dead, and also patriotism. Like, because it's coming into Vietnam. Uh, obviously, it's dealing with civil rights. Uh, it's it just in its fucking casting. It is funny that, in a, in its own way, it is very placed in time, but it feels outside of it.
2: Yeah, but I a lot of it, too, is... Kind of the the nihilistic tone of the movie in that like everything in the film it's almost aware of but does not call attention to, and it's huh. it's there for, for our for like the audience to put weight on it like it's um, it's
0: it's it's kind of a coded message
2: exactly like this
0: this weight exists inside you you just need to realize that you're carrying it
2: it's not calling attention to it it's not giving you a say either way like there's there's no agenda with with what is being served in this film like whether or not we have an african american protagonist or the like the the police force moving in and and how everybody dies at the end and like children eating their parents and like whatever <laughs> you want to get out of that like but there's no commentary within the film like it doesn't make us feel any kind of way like barbara becomes almost catatonic and she becomes this like wallflower character who doesn't do anything and like what does that say about women's rights like i don't know what baggage are you bringing in the movie
0: yes thank you that is so great the movie is practically a blank canvas there this is probably the one movie that everyone has discussed to the nth degree uh, and it doesn't say those things. It's it's almost like a David Lynch movie. Like, and George A. Romero, you know, he defends it. He, he doesn't have to defend it. I'm sure he had to defend it when it came out. But he, I, I don't think he's taken as much of a political stance on the movie as the people who watched it. Because mm-hmm. even even in his own words, like it was not a political choice to cast uh Dwayne Jones. Um, uh, but that's, that's all anybody wants to talk about. And I'm sure like that's the funniest thing is like, I can't watch this movie the way a 1968 audience did because, uh, after he's introduced, he smacks a white woman who's being hysterical. He bosses around every other white character in the movie. He's a fucking badass. But, um, but that definitely had a different impact on the people watching it than, then, than, than say now.
2: Maybe, though, because if George A. Romero was able to just cast the best person for the role and not see in, like, race at all, like that's that's more progressive than some of the choices that we're seeing made nowadays
0: agreed because it wasn't a choice. It was just he got the right guy.
2: I just think all of the the decisions in this movie are made for whatever reason, but they aren't infiltrated with um personal feelings. So, horror this horror film is particularly good because it is holding up a mirror to the world and it's not a carnival mirror it's not skewed in any way like you see what you see because it's what you're looking for
0: yeah yeah That that's a sign of true true fucking great filmmaking too Because it shouldn't have its own commentary. We should be able to talk about it afterward. Says
2: the commentary on the movie. (laughs) And we should all
0: say something differently. We should all see something differently. Like, I, I, I just mean, like, it should be a jumping off point for discussion. I don't love it when a movie has a very deliberate message. But I like it when there's something to talk about. What's your favorite shot of the movie? Because um, I was continually surprised by some of like the fucking brilliant choices in this. Like there are shots in this movie that if they had if they just had a little more money to get a different camera it would just be like fucking
2: Oscar moments. Yeah, there's one particular moment in the house when Ben has to pick up something from like the far edge of the screen. It's like a weapon or something. Unfortunately, I can't remember what. It might have been that pipe scene. Might have been a piece of wood. But the pipe is like in the foreground. It's lit and and he's in the top corner just on how the, the, the angle is skewed. And it's a mirror of the same angle used when Barbara first sees the ghouls in the cemetery. I love the
0: use of ghouls in this movie. Oh,
2: man. Ghouls is one of my favorite words. Why don't we use ghouls uh, more often? We use ghouls a lot, John. <laughs> we use ghouls. I mean,
0: outside of just boys and ghouls.
2: <laughs> ghouls is its in my Twitter bio, I just want to say.
4: Okay.
2: Fuck, it's the best word ever. I like it. Uh, and also the fact that the movie that coins zombies never coins zombies. Yep,
0: never, <laughs> like, never use the word.
2: It's fucking wonderful.
0: Living dead.
2: I, I love it. I fucking think it's wonderful.
0: My A-plus moment in this movie for cinematography, I think, is when Barbara turns on that little ballerina music box. And
2: it goes through the box? Yeah,
0: we're looking through the box up at Barbara, who's just staring at it, like, with dead eyes. Because, like, this is not a world where trinkets even exist anymore.
2: Yeah. Fuck. She can't find- That p- house had a lot of wood in it, I have to say.
0: Well, I mean, he started taking apart tables. He started taking apart... He used a whole goddamn door to block another door. So
2: something I wanted to say is that Ben is such a wonderful character that we would not see nowadays because stories are not written for characters to be as resourceful as Ben is. Yeah. Because stories are written, for the most part, for our characters to fail, to conveniently fail until... The climax. Like, your character is not going to succeed until the climax. Yeah. And Ben is so proficient at barricading that house that I'm just like, fucking Barbara can be catatonic because she doesn't have to do any work. Fucking Ben has got this down.
0: He's like uh, our final girl and you're next. He just knows what he, you know what? Fuck that. That's not true. He doesn't know what to do, but he knows what not to do. And he's gonna just not sit there like Barbara, unfortunately, and let this happen. He's gonna fight. That truck he arrives in isn't even his own truck. He's ready to go immediately. He doesn't waste any goddamn time. He just starts tearing tables apart.
2: But when he's, like, ripping up the countertop, you're just like... That's a fucking level of resourceful that I don't even understand and that characters we have nowadays wouldn't understand to do. They'd just be like, oh, we're fucked. <laughs> fucking millennials. <laughs> <laughs> it's not our fault, though. <laughs> Can we it's build just... an app to fight the zombies, maybe? <laughs> S- stories are afraid to do now what they did back then, and that's lock your characters in a room and make them fight for your attention with dialogue alone. And few, ca- few people nowadays have the permission, but... Are able to take the risk to do that because unfortunately studios, studios don't think that makes money, and for you know, for most people it doesn't. But like people like Quentin Tarantino can still do that. But yeah. there's very few people that can be like, yeah. So I want to set a movie that's gonna be two and a half hours long, and we're just gonna have characters talking about their situation. Like, oh yeah, there's zombies outside, but like we're gonna just deal with like the inner politics of people buttonheads. You know, I real, would, I would argue real that human society. The
0: zombie subgenre is the only. The zombie subgenre is the last place that you can find that.
2: Yeah, it's because one of the few. every
0: zombie movie is essentially a bunch of people who fight, like zombies, at the beginning. You need some action. And then we're going to lock ourselves in a room, and then it's going to be some infighting. And once that gets a little boring, like, oh, somebody got through a door. like like you know, like, Occasionally a zombie gets through a crack in the window, and then, <laughs> and then we're back to the infighting because I hate this fucking guy, and if i got to spend one more hour in the same room as him, I'm gonna let my daughter eat them.
2: <laughs> Somebody hiding a bite, and then it comes to a head at about the midpoint. <laughs> it's
0: great. Like, the thing is, like these are all staples of the zombie subgenre that come from *Night of the Living Dead*, that are solidified in *Dawn of the Dead*. We'll get to it. Uh, but when they're done right, they're done right. And I don't, I, I, I don't think it's just when George A. Romero does it. Like when it's done right whoever does it it's great because when you watch a movie like scream that can that can pull out all of the tropes and even point at them you still enjoy them when they come and happen because they are fine when the story is good enough for it
2: mhm that's very true yeah um i just want to touch on briefly because i know we can't go too long because we're doing three movies yeah, today yeah that's a big a uh I fucking love Karen, <laughs> the, the daughter. Like you, you know she's coming because she's on everybody's cover, and like, oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. and you, you know as soon as they mention that she's fucking down there, not doing good, you're just like, oh fuck yeah, oh fuck yeah, yeah
0: I know. But like, oh like if you had a seen this movie in 1968, oh I kind know, of deal, right? Like, I know that would have been so good.
2: But oh, it's so rewarding when you get it, and yes. Yeah. And fucking that dad deserves, <laughs> he deserves what's coming to him. He's just fucking putting rope, like, he has the advantage of the windows and the doors being barricaded, and he's just like, fuck it, we're going down to the basement, and it's just like, eh. That
0: moment between him and Ben, when he, Ben, he, the, the only thing stopping Ben from dying is this guy, and this guy is just like a second away from going to the basement, but eventually decides, fuck it, I'll come back up and help. And ben Ben beats him up afterward. So good, because he deserves it. And all the fighting over the gun, like it's it's all done quietly and it's all done really well. And I love that Ben doesn't take any fucking shit from this guy at all.
2: Also, I just think it's kind of crazy that that and that's how nihilistic this movie is that Keith and Judy die out there and like the the truck explodes yeah. and then we see full out zombies eating intestines. Like that surprised me. I did not think we were going to be seeing that.
0: Oh yeah, and like the makeup and turkey on the legs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's barbecue. You know, <laughs> I mean, even the even the cops at the end say like, "Oh, it looks like somebody had a little barbecue, huh?" Like they've been they they they've been in the apocalypse for thirteen hours and they've already got like the darkest gallows humor. It's nuts.
2: <laughs> just like a bunch of guys in cowboy hats, just like nope, zombies. <laughs> well, I mean, like this movie, nothing phases <laughs>
0: nothing. Well, that that's the thing. This movie touches on something that is still very true today. People are secretly wishing for the end of the world, and it's not. Maybe it's maybe it's so they can do whatever they want, get away with anything, or just be the boss. But, like, these guys lock in to the end of the world, no problem. It is so easy for them to just roll with it.
2: I see. I don't know if it's at that scope, though, in Night of the Living Dead. Like, I think it's it's definitely, like, I think it's a big deal. People are dying, but I don't know if it's at the scope that the world is ending. It's These people were able to, like, take take care of it over a night.
0: Okay, well then maybe it, maybe it's just I it, see what
2: you mean okay, though. Yeah. Um and I was going to say that The Purge is another one of those franchises that has just like in the same sense that zombie franchises do and it's just like wow, people are people are really really excited for like that hierarchy to die.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then to build it again themselves. <laughs> yeah,
2: and just to like get their due and I guess getting your due is like stockpiling in a mall, I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe everybody's just sick of paying bills. Maybe that's all it is. Like, if I gotta kill people just so I don't have to pay any more bills, I'll do it.
2: But why does everybody assume they're gonna be, like, one of the nine survivors?
0: Oh, yeah. No, we're all dead.
2: Yeah. We're the extras, guys. That's, unfortunately, that's just the luck of the draw.
0: On the other hand, on the other hand, I don't think anybody's breaking into our house to steal our canned beans. Maybe. They might. Okay, after a year, once all the meat products are gone, then they're coming for our beans. (laughs) You imagine like a like a group of like like angry mobsters, mobsters, an angry mob outside, just like, hey, let us in. We want your food and supplies. Like, well, I mean, all we really got are horror movies and and lentils. But sure, <laughs> like, if-
2: like, is that a pug in there? <laughs> no,
0: no, it's not. It's just a really ugly daughter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, boys.
0: <laughs> okay, Kim, what is your rating? Of Night of the Living Dead.
2: Oh boy, this is hard to rate because. Very. I'm not watching this as. Oh, I'm
0: so sorry. I'm so sorry. What? I don't mean to cut you off. What? Can we just back up one half a second? Why? When fucking Johnny shows up and pulls Barbara into, like, the zombie horde, that is, like, my new favorite kill. <laughs> like, I, I've seen it before, but just seeing it. In the movie as it goes, like I'd kind of forgotten that it was gonna happen when the zombies are breaking in and Johnny's there. We know it's Johnny because he's wearing his driving gloves and he just like yanks. He doesn't have his
2: glasses anymore though.
0: Yeah, but (laughs) you like those glasses, don't you? I
2: do. They're my favorite.
0: It's so chilling. It's so dark. I also like how
2: inconsequential it is. There's no Unfortunately, because most people are dead at this point, there's nobody to really remark on it. We don't dwell yeah. there and we can't stay there because, like...
0: Ben's not the kind of guy that's going to, like, take a moment and grieve over somebody he just met either.
2: Yeah, and so the movie just trucks on and just gets done and, and Barbara's gone. And Barbara was our, like, our girl from the beginning. So it's just like, even though she wasn't a huge... Final girl, can I say? Like, she yeah. didn't really earn her place at the end of the movie. To see her die, you're just like, oh, shit, it's so bleak. And then when it ends, when Ben dies, you're just like, what the fuck is this movie? Yeah. George A. Romero, I'm angry 50 years later.
0: It hurts. <laughs> it hits hard.
2: I'm angry I is.
0: <laughs> <sighs> so with all of that anger and all that appreciation, what's your rating?
2: Yeah, um, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of four because I think a four out of four would be lip service.
0: I feel the exact same way.
2: And, uh, like, it is a scrappy movie. It's a wonderful movie, but it's definitely scrappy, but it's wonderful.
0: Yeah. A four out of four seems really strong. And I do really like it. I think it's an amazing movie. But a 3.5 out of four is where I feel comfortable. And I don't think, what? Well, oh, that's the difference between 100% and 95%, I guess? 80%, 90%? I think we're doing fine. <laughs> sun's coming up, guys. Let's talk about George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. In
3: 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. It became the classic horror film of its time. Not that room, not that room! <laughs> Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the dead. Meet me on the roof at 9 o'clock. Get I, out. I don't believe We're it. We're gonna what? get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Should man. Now, accept the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences. George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the living dead has ended. Dawn of the dead is here. We have spawned our own savagery. Soon, it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. They must be destroyed on sight. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. We are down to the line, folks.
0: We are down to the line. Dawn of the Dead. From 1978, George A. Romero's Dawn... I'm going to do this like the trailer. George A. Romero's Dawn of the
2: Dead. When hell is full of things, <laughs> they Some will cometh upward <laughs> on the earth.
0: When the devil leaves the door open a little bit, the... <laughs> Zombos will sneak out. Okay, currently sitting at a 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. 4 out of 4 from Ebert. And uh, 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. It was 4.1 yesterday when I looked. It's 4.0 today. (laughs) Last we left off in 1968. George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Very similar to Night of the Living Dead. Dawn of the Dead starts and the zombies are already rampaging. They already exist. They are already eaten, everybody.
2: Yeah, we pick up right away, which my brain was not ready for. Yeah, there's I need so to, much action. <laughs> I need to be lulled into a movie because my attention span when a movie starts is not very great.
0: <laughs> you don't think just...
2: Uh... I'm like that with books, too. Like, the first chapter needs to be a throwaway because I am not remembering it.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, you just need to, to, like, dip your toe in those calming waters. Yeah. And, right. <laughs> and this
2: movie starts during zombie infestation, which I guess makes sense because this is the dawn of the dead. We've already had a Night of the Dead. We we, we know about the walking ghouls as per Night of the Living Dead, and now we are here to see the next stage of the ghoulish infestation.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I get the impression that... Uh, zombies have been around for enough time that everybody identifies it as a problem, a crisis, uh, but they still don't know what to do with it. Yeah. there is. We are like at that tipping point. You know, we've probably just passed it where like there was a moment where maybe we could have beat them back, but we are most definitely outnumbered right now. We, yeah. We've passed the event horizon. <laughs> we
2: come in and everybody's still kind of working their jobs. I mean, we're looking at kind of uh, a small group of crisis people. We're watching... Uh, and how a news crew is handling it, and then how like a military SWAT team is handling it. So, uh, but the fact that people are still showing up for posts means that we are right at the tipping point. Uh, yeah,
0: I, honestly though, I think it's I think it's a really cool move. Just hearing you talk about it now, I didn't I didn't think about it till this moment. I think it's a really cool move because in both of those moments. In both of those groups, we see that they are already breaking down. Everybody's at work, sure, but nobody gives a shit. Literally, people in the crew are showing up and throwing things in the in, in the guests' face. Like the the person who's trying to say like we have a problem here and we need to kill these people. They they don't want to hear what he has to say. Because I guess he's a representative of the government and they just don't trust the government. They're giving him bunny ears. The The SWAT team is just rampaging and killing yeah, people. Yeah, and there's that
2: one guy that just goes mad and just yeah. starts killing just people in apartments. Just heads. Like human <laughs> beings in an apartment building. Yeah,
0: innocent people. So everybody is showing up to work because it's comfortable and it's familiar, but it doesn't matter anymore.
2: I think we're right at the edge of lawlessness. Like, yeah. There, there was like a status quo and everybody was kind of in it, but... But they're seeing the reality, and the reality is that society has officially broken down.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, Stephen shows up to Francine and says, "You know, meet me on the meet me on the building. We're stealing a helicopter. We're stealing a helicopter.
2: I'm the only one that can fly Nine flying. o'clock tonight. And I'm not teaching anyone how to."
0: She's like, "We can't do it. We have responsibility as journalists. We gotta get the message out. We have to like send these people to emergency crisis centers."
2: Kenfori's <laughs> coming. Oh,
0: yeah. okay. <laughs> oh, well, well, if that's the case, <laughs> I'll be there for Peter. <laughs> no, um, but the the camera operator says to her like in like, the coolest, coldest fashion, like, go ahead, go, we've already done our jobs, our responsibilities over, the emergency broadcast takes over at midnight. Like, he is checked out. But I'm just thinking about the fact that we've, we've got this movie, it's set up in a mall, the zombies come to the mall because it's familiar to them, memory plays an, a key role in the zombies of Dawn of the Dead. I just think it's interesting that these humans, who are essentially waiting to die, are already themselves in a familiar place, and it doesn't mean anything.
2: So you touched on something really interesting there, um, with that line that's probably the most iconic and referenced line of the movie, which everybody kind of chalks up as the thesis for the film about how the zombies or ghouls return to the mall because of some sort of, like, subconscious memory kind of thing like it's it's just a place of habit for them yeah and so it's almost like there is some lawfulness to the zombies or some some sense of status quo for the zombies and you'll notice too that they have different personalities like it's done a lot of times in humor or jest but they cling on to things that they had they you mean like that gun loving zombie yeah (laughs) that they obviously held dear when they were they when they were living And the fact that society has completely broken down, and you see that specifically with uh, Tom Savini's gang, that the humans are the ones that aren't abiding by the status quo. But Mm. they're like the zombies. Sure, yes, they they are eating people and they are causing chaos. But they almost they are the most predictable thing about this movie and that's probably why z- zombie lore has become so such a phenomenon and also um such a great story trope and a like a a story device because the zombies are never the penultimate villain of a no. zombie film never. they are more like a setting they are a way to isolate characters and have dissension and um, power struggles within whatever group you choose to follow. So zombies are the same as putting people on an abandoned island. You are forcing people to be stuck together and to fend for themselves mm-hmm. and create their own hierarchy. and that's where your story is.
0: Yeah, it's 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 crazy when you hear people constantly talk about the zombies of George A Romeros being so scary because they're not they're not bloodthirsty creatures like they're not like the wolf man the wolf man turns into the wolf and he eats people and then back wake- to humanity yeah back to humanity Guilt, he wakes shame. up yeah he doesn't remember any of it but he knows he's responsible with the zombies and george A. romero's are us like that's that's what you'll always hear they aren't mindless ghouls they are us and it's true because the memory and the personality of that person still exists they're just dead so, like, the, yeah, they, like these people come to the mall. Mo- Where would you go now that I'm thinking about it? You're a zombie.
2: Pinball arcade. Pinball
0: arcade? It wouldn't just be this office? And like, I'd you'd be just like be, be constantly, at the laptop? Constantly
2: putting, like, my shoe into the bill return. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, if that's the case, though, George a. Romero's rules, we're vegan. Yeah. So... Oh,
0: like, do we remember would that? Would we be
2: just eating people's clothes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like eating their rubber soles
0: <laughs> there's a lot of protein in the shoe. Oh, no, where
2: I'm... do you get your protein <laughs> <laughs>
0: like we just eat plants
2: we rip them out of the ground yeah. though <laughs>
0: oh, just tear into this head of lettuce it's so gross i'll rip the heart out of an artist. <laughs> eating
2: beets like covered in beets oh right that'd be good
0: that'd be good so also too just about like the zombies being being us that is so integral to the plot of this movie, like, in a way that I just cannot fucking describe. It's so amazing. We'll get to it eventually. But what I find really interesting, too, about the mall, um, I never really see the mall as, like, an evil thing. Like, I, I get the idea. It is very strange that in your death, the most important thing to you in your life or one of the most important things to you in your life was a shopping center. Mm-hmm. That's kind of strange, obviously, but it wasn't really until the end credits where we, especially with the music too, and I love the music. Oh, the music's fucking incredible! But we're watching all of these cutscenes of zombies just in the mall milling about, almost like like elderly people going for a stroll in the morning, and it just kind of strikes me as 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 haunting in the same way that maybe the Amityville house kind of is, like just looking at it seeing the mall this way with all the zombies, like, the mall doesn't care whether you're alive or dead. The mall doesn't care what kind of condition you're in. The mall just wants you.
2: John. <laughs> Fuck.
0: It wasn't, and like,
2: That's spooky! A, a little, right? It wasn't
0: until <laughs> the end credits where that really sort of, like, like exclamation point to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, I, I've always heard people talk about, though the consumerism of the movie and whatnot, and, like, sitting down and watching it and really absorbing it this time. I didn't quite see that. Like, I see the satire in it. It wasn't until, like, the end credits with just the zombies in the mall, no humans. It's like, wow, the mall is still the
2: same. The same. <laughs>
0: it's almost in its, like, natural habitat.
2: Yeah, especially with the mall, um, like, elevator music yeah. and the fountains going. <laughs> yeah. There's a sense of normalcy, even though, like, we've seen a whole, um... A whole film transpired there. Yeah. There was a, an entire arc and a battle and yeah. a fight for survival. But Hearts
0: were won and lost. <laughs> and, you know.
2: But in the end, it's still like an Orange Julius. <laughs> exactly.
0: You know, Ken Forey has a really hard time in this movie. His character has a real rough go. He and Roger meet up because he saves Roger's life because one of the other SWAT guys is, like, going wild. They're supposed to be killing zombies. He's killing people. He almost kills Roger. They're a
2: great duo, though. They're a fantastic duo. They are my favorite couple of the year. But
0: they meet up because... (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) But they meet up because they both need a minute to, to just, like... Deal with the weight of what they're
2: doing. And the weight of the zombies in the basement.
0: Oh my God, right? When that priest comes in, he's like, I've been giving the last rites to them. We've been keeping him in this other room. It's just like, well, congrats. You came down here to maybe not kill people for a minute or two. And now you've got to go, like the, door, the room next to you, you just walked into a trap of killing 50 people. I mm-hmm. say people, they are zombies, but they're people.
2: I am going to interrupt your thought. I know you're in the middle of one. So sure, that's fine. Sticky note that. Pin in it. There's a great juxtaposition between those two characters at the beginning of the film and later on in the film because they provide a lot of our comic relief because they are they are very proficient at killing, they're very skilled so they're not necessarily intimidated by being in the zombie swarm and being um, not behind closed doors and and putting themselves out there and, and taking risks. but in the first few scenes that we see them when they are doing their sWATly duties there is a lot of pain and anguish behind um killing these zombies and oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, shooting yeah. these zombies in the head and and you i think it's probably that final scene in the basement where they have to es- execute like a whole room of zombies that Ken Vore's, like eyes glaze over and he gets really hard and and well there's
0: kids in there like there's just like fa- whole families in there.
2: But yeah, it's it's almost like there's a specific line where he is affected by what he's doing to just being completely desensitized. Mm. And so much so that by the later half of the movie, he is executing living human people. They are they're definitely a risk. They're more of a risk at the zombies at the point that he's doing it, but there is no um we don't see any doubt in his eyes. Or Roger's eyes for the rest of the film. There is no doubt behind what they're doing, in terms of killing zombies or um, killing at all.
0: It's interesting you say that uh, because I was gonna, like, I I was bringing that up because I was I was gonna kind of talk about how Ken Forey has like he is he is on a constant downward spiral with this, and like I see that as like the moment where he says I cannot do this anymore, and then when they're escaping on the helicopter, he. He still kind of hasn't had a moment to catch his breath. Uh, like he's just he's 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 trying to tell himself, I guess, that this is real and that this is just the life he's gonna have to live forever. Now, when they're filling up the, the helicopter, he wanders off. He just wants a fucking coffee. He just wants to sit and enjoy a coffee. And while he's there, who shows up? Two zombie kids, and then another oh, zombie that was a guy. Great scene. Yeah, like he's just like he cannot get a break. He can't move without being forced to kill innocent people.
2: But you have to admit that they have a ton of fun getting rid of zombies in that mall. And clearing out the mall. And I
0: think it's because it feels like a mission. Yeah. Right? It's, it's... And it's,
2: it's, I think, because they have an upper hand and they're kind of in control. Or at least they believe they're in control. Yeah. Uh, but there is no guilt or shame about executing zombies in the mall.
0: No, no, you're you're, you're definitely right about that, and I which think,
2: is which is a complete tonal difference from how we feel about it in the very beginning.
0: Yeah, maybe it's because he he sees these as the last zombies he'll have to kill, or because they're he,
2: making a safe space. Yeah, yeah they're making maybe. a safe
0: space because by the end of the movie, when the zombies are back, it it is a lot for him to handle, like quite a lot for him to handle. So much so that he. Obviously, we're jumping around, but he almost kills himself because he doesn't want to kill any more zombies. He doesn't want to have to go out into the world and fight to survive every moment of every day and always be looking over his shoulder. I feel like you're giving a
2: lot of weight to that final, the ending scenes where he decides not to get on the helicopter and then he does. I
0: don't love it either. I think it was really bizarre (laughs) that he did it. I was so mad. I'm like, Ken, no. Not you, no.
2: (laughs) I'm pretending that didn't happen at all because it just feels very out of character and kind of sudden for me. So... Um, yeah, all of his prior actions do not lead up to that moment, and I'm not going to relate anything to it in my mind's eye. I don't I
0: I couldn't help but notice that, that Ken was having, Ken,
2: (laughs) my buddy Ken,
0: (laughs) that Peter was having a very hard time all throughout the movie. I shouldn't say all throughout the movie, but definitely in the beginning. Uh, and, and obviously it, it sort of laid a groundwork for him at the end. But one thing at the very least, and this is definitely Roger's downfall, uh, regardless of how much fun they're having, he never Peter never lets himself forget that these things are dangerous.
2: Which is the right move.
0: Yeah, he's maybe the o- one of the only people that does that. He's the coolest head in the whole movie. Because Roger, unfortunately, I would
2: argue that argue that Francine. You know
0: what? You're hundred percent right. Yeah, Francine is the coolest head in this. Because movie.
2: so after they've got to the mall, they're holed up in the upstairs. Is it like a staff room? It's just like a storage area sure. filled with boxes. And they've decided, you know what, this is going to be home. Uh, we're going to chill up here. We got our helicopter up on the roof. Uh, we're going to clear out the zombies. That becomes a big deal. But in the first few weeks of being there, they're not really involving Francine in the decision making. I think it's within
0: the first two days. I think it's the, the second day they're there that she's, she talks to them about it.
2: Because they is this after they, they found out she's pregnant? Yes. Okay. So I...
0: I it's I, a great moment, too. Like, she says to them, I don't want to be treated any differently because I'm pregnant, and I want you to teach me how to use that helicopter in case something happens to one of us. I want you to show me how to use a gun. I never want you to leave me without a gun ever again.
2: Boyfriend. Right? <laughs> oh,
0: here's the thing. She's saying it to the group, that whole conversation is for Steven. He's, <laughs> he's the guy that took the gun away. He's the one treating her different because she's pregnant. He's the only one who knows how to fly a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> That whole conversation is for her, and good God, do we see that repeated throughout the whole fucking movie. It's so good.
2: Yeah, because he's kind of low-key terrible. He like, is. <laughs> I, I know that that they're not trying to paint him as a bad guy, and I don't, I don't think we're supposed to be all like, this is a terrible asshole throughout the, most of the movie. Like I think we're just supposed to treat him as, um he's not like a man's man, and he's not quite proficient with a gun, but...
0: He's he's all, like, all the time, he is drawing a line between... But he just
2: takes me as, like, a snooty asshole. He's a
0: prick. So it she, they come... And he
2: proposes, and it's just, it didn't fly. I love that
0: scene. I love that scene. I
2: love when they have their romantic dinner, and all their hair is done, because they did it at the salon.
0: Yeah, they got ready for it, they, they're having a nice candlelit dinner, so he proposes to her, then and... Then you
2: had to spoil it all. <laughs> exactly. By saying something stupid like... Marry me during the zombie infestation. Yeah,
0: and she says no, because she says now's n- not now, because I want it to be real. And that's be- only because he's treating her differently because she's pregnant.
2: Ba-ba-ba-ba. If she
0: wasn't pregnant, he wouldn't ask her to marry her. It has nothing to do with also, the zombie Also, if she apocalypse. wasn't
2: the last woman in the world.
0: Well, maybe, right? See, that's that's what's so good about this movie, and like that's what's so good about zombie movies when they're good. Coming from me, a guy who doesn't really love zombie movies, uh, the, the zombies don't matter it's it's the human story at the center because like you said the zombies are the setting uh everything about this movie is the the four of them and their relationships with each other
2: yeah and i think why this movie is so successful and it's something that i honestly was not anticipating and completely had forgotten about is how entertaining it is to watch these characters in the mall. Yeah. Normally, when you, you when you lock your characters in a building for the the majority of the film, it does get kind of tedious because you get sick of the the inner relationship drama and the spats and the minor conflicts. Um, but this is structured more like an adventure film. There's a lot of goals and missions and things to attain and obtain and like they need to lock them all doors. And, And all of these decisions are smart decisions. Oh yeah. Lock them all doors fortify them with the trucks which is a very risky maneuver so you're very interested through all of that oh
0: boy is it risky it costs roger his life
2: yeah, yeah and it's super tense and exciting because it's it's a wild ride yeah totally and uh all of the stuff that they do is so smart and the things that we fast forward to or fast forward through is also really well done like this is a long movie but it's paced so well because so after the doors are locked they have to dispose of the zombies. But we just fast forward a bit and the zombies are taken care of because there's no risk there. So we don't watch it. Which makes a lot of sense because you have two proficient SWAT guys who are shooting a bunch of zombies. They're driving
0: a car around. That the are locked now. up.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like they didn't even need to leave, leave the roof. They could have just made some noise and just shot down. Like
0: That's so true. There's
2: no risk involved. And we didn't have to watch it which was very smart.
0: I loved it. And also, <laughs> also like once they get all of the zombies taken care of, they, like, not, maybe not intentionally, but they totally give Roger, like, the best last day of his life, right?
2: Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Yeah,
0: like, he's got, like, maybe three days to live, more And they know that,
2: and they're trying to keep him as comfortable as possible. They're giving him morphine. You know, like, I probably, outside, Ken Forey, I would have just shot him after he, <laughs> after he got bitten so many times. No, but they couldn't. They couldn't. He, they needed him. I, well, they love him. But, <laughs> yeah. and they're BFFs. But he was pretty, like, physically useless at that point they had him in a wheelbarrow for the rest of the movie yeah and he was shooting when he could but he was adding more risk to them because peter had to cart him around like back and forth to that department store and it was risky it was added risk
0: absolutely he, you know, and they he, did it
2: for loves.
0: They did it for loves. They did it so he could go to the arcade.
2: And they had so much fun. Yeah,
0: they did it so they could just eat whatever they wanted in the grocery store. Like, he really looks like, if you know, if you got bit by zombies, this is the best way to go. In every other zombie movie, they hide it. They don't tell anybody about it's it. It's so
2: true. And it becomes this this really contrived plot point where you're just like, oh, I wonder who the zombie in the room's gonna be. It's probably the person who's been sweating for an hour. Yeah, and then like,
0: oh, <laughs> the big tough guy proves that he's actually a, you know, he's a softie in the center. Because he and... can't
2: shoot them. Yeah. we wait too long.
0: Oh, yeah, and then like the person who's just been quiet in the background who's the real fucking leader steps up and does it because it's what you gotta do. Like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. It is... Heartbreaking when Roger is on his deathbed. It
2: is. It is
0: so horrible.
2: His makeup is wonderful. Though.
0: His makeup's wonderful, but just
2: And the emotions in the zombie oh, makeup. Man. Oh, when he says, No, exactly. Oh, That's what I was when getting at. He doesn't want that... to come back. Yeah. He's oh like, my You God. promise me,
0: you promise me that the moment you kn- I'm uh, that I'm a zombie, you kill me. But you wait. I'm gonna try not to come
4: back.
2: Fuck. And Fuck. but when he did, his face was so haunted yeah. and so tormented. It's because almost it, because there's a he memory. Almost like he knew he didn't want to be a zombie. He
0: he clung on to that so Ugh. hard that when he came back, his only memory is I shouldn't be here. Oh But I wanna eat Peter. No, yeah. Don't
2: eat Peter.
0: So good. Oh And the, well here's the thing, and like I mean you would expect you would expect Peter to have a very hard time killing a guy who he's become good friends with over the course of just a short few days. You would expect him to have a hard time shooting that guy. So that's not really out of character. But I think that's another example of of Ken Forhee's character uh, really struggling to deal with killing. Like, I think he sort of told himself,
2: I'm not going to do this anymore. I think you're right in that he cannot slow down. Like, he needs to just muscle through it and and not stop to ponder because i think that's kind of where you see the actual weight of the situation like yeah. you're very right that that scene in the beginning where he's trying to get coffee and that one like where they stop to get gas the hanger you see like him wanting a moment
0: yeah
2: yeah fuck it is a fucking wonderful film mm-hmm. i know that that we've we've kind of preached how much we're not huge zombie fans but it's because
0: we don't watch good ones why do we always watch bad zombie movies? no
2: you know what uh, we've seen like the the remake of Dawn of the Dead is wonderful yeah, for different good. reasons it's a completely different film than the original oh yeah and fuck the I did not realize how much I was going to enjoy the mall sequences Yeah, it, it's so good so good
0: it's amazing actually can I can I read you a quick little thing
2: you may
0: when I was looking for ratings on Letterboxd uh, I came across this great review five stars uh, this is this is the whole review things I would do differently <laughs> one remove the food from the freezer where they put the
4: bodies
0: <laughs> two build the wall out of something stronger than cardboard three close the serious close and seriously board up the doors behind the built wall four seduce francine away from Flyboy. okay uh five take all the guns out of the gun store six never take off the fur coat
2: <laughs> and
0: seven eat a whole ton of cheese they were so happy when they found that whole wheel of cheese. They
2: did have a lot of cheese, and also, she could have eaten that
0: throughout her whole pregnancy. <laughs> that
2: shit would go bad, though. I guess it's cheese; it would just get blue. Ew.
0: <laughs> very gross.
2: Are there any other scenes and moments that you want to talk about?
0: There's a lot because we do I have another about. film we have to about. Okay, how long have we talked here?
2: Almost thirty minutes.
0: Okay let's let's assume that we we only have twelve minutes of things to say about Day of the Dead and spend a little more time on Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> We're not, we're halfway through the movie. I've got so many other things I want to talk about. I will keep it short, but um, first off, Zombie Steven, best zombie makeup ever. Absolute best zombie Is that makeup. Flyboy? That's Flyboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's so fucking cool looking as his His
2: ankle's pretty great.
0: Also, his ankle, yes. I just. Like,
2: also, when he gets bit, or no, when he gets shot in the elevator... Er, oh, yeah. He gets shot before he gets bit. And he gets it, shot
0: when he's on top of the elevator. So,
2: uh, great job with the blood splatter on that. It hit him in the ear and it was gross.
0: Okay, if we're just going to talk about special effects for a minute, that fucking machete in the face.
2: Yeah, that was Right? right. Oh, Just that it, that it stuck. Like, they got yeah, the, the yeah. weight of, like, they made a jello head so that the machete would get, like, stuck in it. I bet
0: it was a real person. I bet it was just a fake knife.
2: No, no. They did a dummy head because it went in the head, John. Haven't you ever seen those gypsies? And it of, like, had to have the weight Tom of getting Savini it Tom like, Savini looking sh-tuck.
0: like he's putting a knife through his neck. Like it's just.
2: Yeah, but it had like a stuck to it. Okay, the, where all the... right.
0: Where <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the. Yeah, yeah, Just like a.
2: <laughs> like a giant baloney head. <laughs> yeah.
0: I hope that's what they called him on set. Bologna head? Baloney head. Just the color of Steven, though. Like the color of fucking Steven looks We're so forgetting. Good. Oh. We're
2: forgetting the fucking helicopter chop head
0: okay helicopter chop head i love that he had frankenstein yeah i
2: love that he had such a huge head beforehand and you're just like why is this guy's head so fucked up and then he he got in the scene with the helicopter you're just like fuck yes." yes
0: the exploding head everybody likes a good exploding head but most importantly when that husband bit down into his wife's neck When they're in the, when they're still in the building. Well, it made me sad too. Her acting and it's fucking great, but it looked so good. Not to mention the sheer fact that when everybody starts getting their intestines pulled out, it's better than any other fucking movie. Well, except maybe Day of the Dead.
2: They're so clean though. You know, all of these the bikers were smokers, and they're just (laughs) like pulling out super clean organs and stuff. Like, wait, we can donate those.
0: So yeah, Steven's color looks great. I just love the contrast between like his white shirt, the red blood all over it and like the the green. Also,
2: it's the very weakness that he knows where the secret entrance is. what
0: I'm getting. That
2: brings everything to a head. Exactly. The jig is up. The
0: memory. The fact that it's still him. He's dead.
2: With he's, his dangling gun on, like his he's got his gun finger. on his finger,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah.
2: You, don't, you don't know how to use that.
0: <laughs> yeah, he remembers. You didn't where know he is. when you
2: were alive. He
0: brings all the zombies upstairs. I also like that he closes the door behind him when he comes upstairs
2: because he remembers to keep the zombies out. Yeah,
0: Even see, it's he like he is there's still a piece of them in there. I also think it's really cool that um, we have a moment between Peter and Francine and Stephen. Uh, and, you know, obviously Peter has to kill Steven, and it's this, like, big moment. And it's also his complete fucking fault that he's dead. He did not need to attack the bikers. They didn't give a shit about them, but he couldn't handle people touching his stuff. And I, I yeah, just the fact that the, the, his death is only between the three of them really helps, like, solidify to me that this is a story about these characters. It's not just, like, he brought in a, a horde of zombies, and he was the first one to get shot. It, you know, like, that that horror does come, but it really nails down that it's about these people.
2: It was also really interesting, too, to see when Peter hears Flyboy getting eaten.
0: Yeah, in and the... he's, like, he's like, I should go, but I shouldn't. But
2: you don't often see, so, you don't see a lot of self-preservation in, in conflict like that. Because yeah. either you have a scene so that one character can prove they're a hero and save the day. Yeah. Or you have them reveal their coward and it shines very negatively okay. on them. I see what you're saying. In the scene, Peter does not go and rescue Fly- I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. So I keep calling him Flyboy. Steven. They called him Flyboy more than they called him Steven. I'm sorry. So in that scene, he doesn't go and rescue him. And we see him struggling with it. Like we see him climb the stairs and hesitate and, and second guess himself. But we don't judge him and the film doesn't paint it in a way for us to judge him like francine doesn't get excessively pissed at him there no big like we need to go get him what are you doing because they all understand that the risks that if he did he's risking himself also dying and it's just a way that you would not see yeah. a scene go nowadays there's either two ways because um
0: and he hears it's, the gunshots, too. Like, that's almost an added thing. Like, where it's like, okay, I can hear... he's He is still alive at this moment. Well, and
2: they wait for him, too. They're like, okay, well, we'll just wait. Maybe he can get up there. But, like, he's got to get up there on his own. And yeah. we're not judging him in that moment. No. And that's, that's just a very unique scene, and it's not normally a way you would see that set up. It's just very original.
0: Yeah. And, like, also to have him, like, standing watch at the top of those stairs. He stands there forever. Hours.
2: There's just something so much more. Hu- hu- it's very human, and it shows that there's a gray area in being a hero and being proficient and saving the day and stuff. And it's just like there are times where you actually do need to assess the risk.
0: Yeah, and he had he has to bear that weight. Like that's the thing. Like he has to. He he knows that he could maybe run in and save him. And even if he did, in like the weirdest scenario where he kills all the zombies because he's a hero and he gets Stephen and he brings him back. He's probably infected. He's just going to end up shooting him later. Or, yeah, you're right. He's going to die on... Like, he's also going to die. Mm-hmm. He's going to risk his life, which risks Francine's life. He risks the entire group by putting himself out there.
2: Yeah. Fuck. And that, that's, that's a great dilemma. Like, that is a wonderful moral dilemma.
0: It's fucking incredible. <laughs> this movie's amazing. It's so good. I feel like there were a dozen other things I wanted to talk about, but you're right. We do have to move on. This is my own fault. I wanted to do three movies.
2: It is your fault.
0: So we gotta we gotta carve out time for a third one. Kim, <laughs> what is your rating?
2: I am going four out of four.
0: Full four out of four. I loved it. Oh, this movie's incredible. This movie's amazing. <laughs> I hope we I hope we one day get that three D version. As much as I hate three D, I'd like to see it get put out. Uh, because if somebody pays to distribute it, it means that we'll finally be able to get this movie on Blu-ray. Even though people keep saying they are working on getting it on Blu-ray,
2: I saw <sighs> that it was on Blu-ray on Wikipedia.
0: It was released originally. You can't get it now. Everything, everything's out of print.
2: Oh, Okay. It should be worth noting too that we did watch the Romero cut. So when we're saying that the oh, sure. music was wonderful, it was that whimsical comedic music. Yeah. And I it, mean, like
0: the Goblin score is also fun, but those. Uh, I
2: love the sense of humor though. Yes. There's a the um, pie
0: fight. Oh my God! Uh, the bikers are too good. Let's—I don't want to get into it. So moving on.
2: Yeah, let's 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 move on.
0: Let's move on. The sun is high in the sky.
2: It is hot out.
0: Because it is the day of the
4: dead.
2: When hell is too full, the <laughs> dead will continue to walk on the earth. All right. All mo- day long.
0: Moving on. All day. Let's talk about George A. Romero's. Dawn of the Dead.
2: Day of the Dead.
0: Day of the Dead.
3: <laughs> First came the night, then came the dawn. Now comes the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history. George A. Romero's Day of the Dead. We've been punished by the creator. We visited a curse. On- few remaining their only hope of survival is to find a cure
4: you're wasting time trying to define
2: what's happening
3: but the odds are against them
2: we're in the minority now something like four hundred thousand to one by my calculations
3: and so is captain rhodes anybody else have any questions about the way things are going to run around here from now on their one chance is Bub. it's working on instinct a deep dark primordial instinct But their time is running out. They can be fooled, don't you see? They can be tricked into being good little girls and boys. Same way we were tricked into it. I promised some reward to come. But when the tricks wouldn't work... They're learning. They're actual learning. ...their world fell apart. (coughs) The dead shall have their day.
0: Extraordinary, isn't it? George A. Romero's Day of the Dead from 1985, currently sitting at 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. It just occurred to me that like, we are like almost two months out from when this podcast is going to air, so hopefully these really don't change the next seven weeks. 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. 1.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert. May I remind you, he gave Dawn of the Dead a four out of four. He clearly
2: has a favorite zombie movie.
0: I think so. 3.7 out of five on Letterboxd. You know what I'm seeing in these reviews, though, is um, I'm seeing, like, people reviewing, like, IMDb is probably reviewing story characters, maybe, right? Rotten Tomatoes, definitely a Tom Savini rating right there. Roger Ebert can't handle the dialogue and uh, or the gore. It's the eighties. That guy had a thing against gore in the eighties.
2: It is a pretty gross movie. Yeah, it is gross tastic. Oh, it's great. Yeah the the blood has. You can really see how evolved <laughs> we are in zombie lore by the color of the blood. Like oh, yeah. we went from chocolate milk to like strawberry milk to fucking gore tastic. Goopy red hemoglobin.
0: You know, I think if it was up to to Tom, I think Tom Savuti always had it in him to do this color of blood. It just wasn't the style of Dawn of the Dead, don't you
2: think? They, I just don't think they were ready for hemoglobin at the time. They just,
0: oh, I can't, I can't break this out on them just yet. They're not ready. It's, <laughs> a, it's only nineteen seventy-eight. We gotta wait. Because come 1985, we got a whole different ballgame. Oh, my. Tom Saviti is giving you a fucking nightmare with this movie. It's so good. There's
2: so many pull-apart scenes, and
4: yeah. you know, people
2: become string cheese so fast in this movie. And I'm for it. <laughs> Very for it. <laughs> I, You know, I'm not big on guts and goop, but yeah, when- are. Shush. Shush. I'm making a point. (laughs) When Guts and Goop are done well, I am...
0: A Guts and Goop gal?
2: I am front row seat to the Guts and Goop. I'm in the splash zone for Guts and Goop.
0: (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just from the title card alone, you know what kind of movie you're in for. Day of the Dead. Can we talk about the... This motherfucker's got no bottom jaw.
2: Can we talk about the intro because it is fucking wonderful?
0: You're talking just about that nightmare. That little nightmare. Oh yeah.
2: That little spook show.
0: That's like in the top ten things that I like. uh, The top ten gifs that I reuse constantly. This is one of them.
2: Well, yeah, just because of like the gif alone makes it look so silly though, because she does that reach away Ah! and then the hands come out, but it like she just can't
0: versus (laughs) versus I'm gonna
2: die. Another day with these. Oh the zombies are still here. Alas, I was going to mark off October 31st, but now I cannot. Oh the vapours. Um
0: That is such a good setup for the movie though, right? Like the count. We'll come back to it if you want. No,
2: I but. want I want that's what I want to talk about because it it makes it such a great like thesis statement for the whole film because each film in George Romero's trilogy represents a different stage of humans versus zombies and where we are in the end of the world essentially and it's like night is the attack dawn is learning what this new life is like and day is letting go of humanity
4: Mm -hmm. and
2: it's it's opening your hands and letting the sand fall through that is shit that is day of the dead it's the
0: naked lunch it's clear (laughs) it's in broad daylight now you're uh, seeing what's on the end of your fork
2: and when we find out who this character is and the fact that she's just sitting in this stone room staring at a calendar and it's like what's left and what is there, like the whole, there's so much questioning of yeah, structure totally, right? and because, time. Like
0: and- why, if, if all you, if the only way you can be safe is to be in a cemented room what is the point of marking off days on the calendar?
2: Exactly. What is the
0: point of going on? Like, all of these things you're doing. This is it rec- October? Yeah, exactly. The record keeping is unnecessary. And it's if, if that is all humanity is at the end, is it even worth it?
2: Mm-hmm. And that's something that I don't think I gave, um... George A. Romero credit for with zombies like we always credit him for the creation of zombies and the creation for this monster and and how iconic <sighs> they are and blah 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 but I think what what we should be talking about more often is just how fully realized the human repercussion yeah. of zombies is examined in these films.
0: He does not care about zombies. I he cares about humans.
2: Cannot even handle <laughs> the monologue I cannot even handle the monologue that John does in the middle of this movie. Fuck I, right. I have to admit, like I was kind of little on the fence with the movie. I was like, yeah, we're doing more zombies, okay, we're, doctors. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're in a military bunker, and Bub is great. But when when John did that speech, I was just like, oh fuck, Jordi Romero still has something to say and knows what he's fucking talking about, and like it, you just become so completely enraptured with this universe. Like, holy fuck, you guys are fucked and you guys just need to let go.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not even not even let go, just restart. Like that's yeah. that's essentially what John is saying. Like, all of this progress that we have made has been wrong from the beginning.
2: Well, it's an epitaph on a tombstone no one's gonna read. Right? Fuck, it's what so the good. fuck? That is Beautiful! It's insane. And so fucking sad.
0: Yeah, they're, they're living in a bunker that has all of the records of, of everything that's ever happened in every the Every movie. States. like uh, Yeah, every movie, all the tax returns, all the census reports. It's got everything. Uh, like, if, if there was a nuclear fallout or a zombie apocalypse, we could restart with all of this information. But what he's saying is that this is just a 14-mile tombstone, uh, and what we've buried down here should remain buried it should just go away completely well because it led to them
2: being reset by zombies anyway so something in in how humanity was living brought upon this reckoning so it's like why would we want to start anew in the mirror image of a society that failed
0: yeah it's interesting because he's also talking about science to a degree, right? Like the the analysis that we've put on our own lives, and I mean, uh, we can we can we can extrapolate this out to today. Like, do you really need to track all of your calories and all of your steps and every movie you watch? Like, what are you doing with all of the social, like I'll say social media accounts, but like all of the all of the digital diaries we have of all of our habits and interests? What are we doing with all of that info? Every single year, I start. Oh, I'm gonna list. Every movie that I watch and at the end of the year, I'm going to be able to say I saw this many movies and none and none, none and I'll find some use for that information. I always quit. I always give up because it doesn't mean anything. And like that is that is kind of what John's talking about here in in a much larger scale. Obviously, mm-hmm. He's say humans do it's not just need
2: working mausoleums.
0: Yeah, like rather than trying to figure out why we're here, why not just be here? Why not just live your life?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it's really interesting because he he talks about sort of going back to a time where we respected folklore uh, and gods. Like maybe, sure, God doesn't exist, but it's a name that we give for an unknown and, and something that we don't need to know about. We can just continue living in a way that feels right.
2: Yeah, it's almost like at, at a point when there weren't any answers or science or anything, like, God just became a sticky note to answering why the universe existed so we didn't have to revisit it and question why. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, this movie's fucking good.
2: And it's great, too, because... Though what he's saying is, like, you're just adding information to put down here. And and watching the movie, I didn't necessarily think of it that way because I thought that they were trying to find some kind of answer or upper hand on the zombie yeah. infestation. Yeah, but yeah. when you realize that, that, and I think that's why they show that one mission where they go out to to find survivors. Like, I don't think there's that many people left. If any. So... If they find an upper hand with these zombies, it would just be an upper hand for the for six people. assholes they're stuck with.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, we also kind of get an idea of, of of just not necessarily the breakdown of society, but, like, the breakdown of of order. We have Captain Rhodes, who's taken over. He is the new boss of the underground facility. He's calling the shots because he's got the guns. And he only got that job because the last guy died. Uh, and the guy before him also died. So, like, eventually, the guys on the bottom, the assholes, the dummies, who do- want to do nothing but just blow the world up, I guess, they'll eventually be in charge.
2: Yeah. Which is
0: crazy. So all they're doing is is they're all playing their own games until they all die.
2: Yeah, and it, it's kind of interesting, too, though, that these military men are still technically manning their posts like they were assigned to protect or whatever these scientists who obviously these this handful of people were sent down to this bunker when um humanity realized that the zombie infestation was a bigger deal than they had previously assumed or that it was starting to take over or um it was going to to lead to a a large um a large-scale extinction or whatever you want to call it. Like, it was the Black Plague level of, of problem or swine flu or SARS or whatever relates in your mind. And so they've been manning that post since before then. So it's almost like they're continuing to do these jobs that nobody's paying them for because everybody's dead, mm-hmm. but because it's comfortable or it's safe or they don't really have any other option... Um, I mean, they are being complete assholes about it. Like they're they aren't quite you know stick into the books, but like the fact that they are they are even still there and they haven't just driven off with like a tank and like fucked off into zombie land is kind of surprising, and it really just surprising. shows how not just the scientists, but the military men are clinging on to order, like, by a fucking thread. Yeah,
0: I mean, they're just like the zombies in Dawn of the Dead. They're going to the mall because it's familiar, it's important to them, this structure, this routine... For the scientists, it's answers. And for the military guys, it's order and control. Mm -hmm. And then you have John, who is is nowhere between the two of them. And just like, it's interesting. You've got these two very small groups saying like, why can't you just think of the bigger picture? And then you got a guy on the side who's just like, guys, there is no bigger picture. It's over. The universe is indifferent. It doesn't care if you find the answers. It doesn't care if you have the biggest guns. Uh, It just will continue with or without you.
2: Yeah, and not, not a lot of movies give me existential crises, but man, if the if the dawn of the dead, day of the dead, night of the living dead trilogy has made me be like, Fuck, why do I have a job? And why do I care about retirement <laughs> savings and like fuck.
0: It's like this; these three movies did more for you than than like an entire decade of hippie culture could have if you'd lived back then. Yeah, <laughs> like, like
2: I feel like I'm in the '60s with this zombie trilogy.
0: Like, yeah, let's radicalize. Fuck let's the man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's only trying to hold us down with books and knowledge. Who is the government even?
0: <laughs> Free your minds. So let's let's let, let's shift gears hard and let's just talk about some fucking gore. Can we please just you talk know, about some Tom Savini gore? Okay. You got more? Do you want to say? I
2: know. I want to. No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's go. I want to talk about the cavern of zombies because it is That's my gore. favorite thing of the whole movie. How okay. they have this like pen of zombies that they call upon for science. Yeah. And the contraption they build is pretty smart, but. I love how by the end of the movie it devolves to like all of our good guys are basically stuck in this cavern trying to get away from these zombies and fucking Johnny is a marksman. Yeah. He is like shooting zombies in the head in the dark at long distance and it's one it is this a weird pull because I know I'm not a I'm not a fan of it but it felt very Star Wars. <laughs> in what sense like they, it felt like they were on another planet in another universe and they were like running and I don't sure, know sure yeah in no, space
0: it did not feel like desert earth. space that is, that is the really interesting thing about this too right because like especially with everything that John is saying we spend so much of the movie underground where there is no sunlight there's no natural light the caves are not like buildings you would live in and even the scenes in buildings are very they're cinder blocks
2: they're so cold nothing about
0: this seems like earth we It looks like we you could tell me, you know, instead of a helicopter, they could just drop down to Earth in a teeny little spaceship and then go back up, like, upstairs to, like, mm. the zombie fortress that they have, like, rotating the, the Earth in a satellite, and it would be the same movie. It would be the exact same movie. You're on to something. I see your Star Wars thing. I see you. It this feels makes like Star sense. Wars. It feels like Star Wars, sure.
2: I just love the cave. The whole cave sequence was.
0: The cave's great. And I like that the zombies are also, they they know what's up. Like
2: yeah, like they're they're like I don't know, I don't want to go over that fence. You guys are mean over there. <laughs> yeah, you guys
0: are mean over there. I know what's going on. Nobody ever comes back. Like they still have memories, which is which is awesome. And we we see that play out quite a bit more with Bub.
2: What do you think about Bub? Bub's great. I kind of love. Bub. I love Bub. Yeah, they I teach him love how to Bub. read Salem's Lot, <laughs> or at least hold it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and he also holds a phone when he does his salute. You're just like, oh, Bob.
0: Yeah, Bob Bub's a military man.
2: And he's, like, smart enough to have a nemesis. So, like, I think that makes him human.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the best that they could possibly do is is just learn a little more about these zombies. And, uh, you know, these zombies, uh, given that they have memories and they sort of operate the same way humans did, it's almost like humans never changed. They just evolved to zombies. Yeah. Like, they're, they're still exactly who they were. They're just a little dirtier <laughs> and a little meaner.
2: And technically that they've evolved beyond needing a gastrointestinal tract because this the, oh, right. the kooky scientist has he's opening up zombies and it's some of the best special effects like you get a lot of brains attached to nothing and spinal cords and and eyes and arms and gross organs and it's wonderful like yeah. his his uh Dr Frankenstein room is fucking lovely what a great section. it is disgusting and I love it and it's very like reanimatory it's almost cartoony. Sure. And when you pair like the the kooky doctor with Bub, this is definitely a a step away from realism. Like mm. Dawn of the Dead is definitely trying to paint a real life scenario and trying to like haunt you in a real life type of type of way. And Day of the Dead is got some some big themes it's talking about, but the, the effects and the gore and the pure insanity of some of the characters just it's just taking it an extra notch, like it's really leaning into horror because at this time, uh, zombies are a household name, mm. and zombies are a sell at the box office. Like zombies are bringing you to the theater, That's a good so point. you're 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 selling a horror story, but then you're actually serving some some major interesting themes to chew on, and you can kind of see that. But yeah, the doctor's kooky bananas. Yeah, and I love him.
0: I like that scene too because it really shows that not only do the humans kind of have an existential dread or just, like, this thing they can't overcome, the zombies do, too. Because we know for a fact they don't... Like you mentioned, they they, they have no need for a gastrointestinal tract. Yeah, like, Uh, even
2: without it. Even if they are just a brain attached to a spine, like, they they will react. Yeah,
0: they want to eat. And there's no reason for it. They don't have to. But they want to. They don't know why. They can't tell us why. Even Bob can't tell us why. But it's just a compulsion that they have. And you know, if, you know, to borrow from Return of the Living Dead, you know, maybe they eat because it's the close it's it's them trying to come back to life. Like they realize they're dead. And like they can't possibly figure out how to be alive again. But their zombie brain tells them to eat a live person.
2: Yeah, to like fill the hole. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean
0: to kind of come back to maybe some folklore that we're dealing with uh, John's character. You know, we're all familiar with uh, them stories about eating the hearts of your enemies or animals to gain their power. Like their spirit. That might have something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, in, in a way. But the fact that the zombies also have this inner turmoil that they can't even explain. They can't even comprehend it. Is almost darker than what the humans are going through. Mm -hmm. Because, like, especially with Bub, we understand they have some level of consciousness. So they surely locked away inside them in some regard is the the idea that I should not be this way.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it in, like, the terms of, A completely unbiased universe that doesn't care about humans either way, whether they exist or whether they don't. And if you look at humans from a standpoint of, like, they're destroying the environment, uh, they're causing global warming, and they're just producing at massive rates, and they have no um, predator, and you create this virus that in turn creates a predator for humans, like, an Earth that's inhabited by the walking dead versus Earth that's inhabited by humans will be... Far better on the environment.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and
2: zombies al- don't need air conditioning. They nope. don't need running water. They don't need coal to power their cars. Like they don't need any of that shit.
0: Yeah. What's interesting there? Too, they don't
2: cause animal extinctions. I mean, other than humanity.
0: Yeah, they definitely don't seem too interested in eating dogs. We I mean, know that much. But I mean, in a, in a world w- with or without zombies, it's always it's not comforting at all. But it is fun to look at uh, the the fact that no matter what humans will be the downfall whether that's in the the form of being dead or just being alive and being a jerk
2: yeah and i think kind of humanity at this point we've all kind of i think we've all kind of come to the terms that the end of humanity is going to be caused by humans oh yeah unless we get unlucky and we get hit by an asteroid like like end. when we don't see It's coming. gonna end because we've overused antibiotics. It's gonna end because we're just gonna kill the Earth before we can figure out how to habit uh, create hab- habiforms on other planets, or. Um we're just going to get a disease, and it's just going to fuck us all over.
0: Mutually assured destructions, my bet. Yeah. All them bombs. I mean, and then all the
2: bombs and shit. Like, I didn't even talk about that shit.
0: How often do we even test those bombs? Because my bet, that mutually assured destruction is going to be, oh, they fired bombs, we're firing bombs, and everybody presses a button. None of them actually go up in the sky, but they all blow up underground and we're
2: So, dead. fun fact, uh-huh. I read this literally yesterday. Uh-huh. Apparently most of the bombs in the United States are being run by old IBM computers Mm. because they all run on floppy disks and they are impossible to hack because they're not on major networks. Word. Right? Crazy right Uh, but that's really old technology and it's great that we're relying on it
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) gotta watch Dr. Strange, love Kim
2: now we are running long sure because this is a triple episode and I did have a question that I really wanted to ask you okay
0: you do know that there's like a billion other things we haven't talked about in this right
2: I know but you're the one that wanted to do three movies in one episode
0: (sighs) all we've done is talk about like the, the the
2: the Everything. existential
0: crisis of this movie. We haven't actually talked about the movie. We haven't talked about Miguel. Miguel is a great... The way Miguel brings... Okay, I get it. Okay, fine, fine, fine. What's your question?
2: Okay, my question is... Well, it's not really a question. <laughs> it's a... To, to give, request,
0: me, give me your statement.
2: <laughs> please rank the three films in order from favorite to least favorite. From
0: favorite to least favorite from favorite to least favorite that's tough right um and okay you know what fine i'm just gonna do it i'm not gonna try and overthink it like i always do um and it by very small margins from each of them to each of them right dawn of the dead day of the dead night of the living dead i am gonna assume yours is different
2: mine is a little different
0: okay let's get into it okay Yep.
2: If I could have a tie, From favorite. I, would, it was, I would have it a tie. It was
0: favorite to least favorite, right? Like, I did yeah, that right? Yeah, My favorite is Dawn of the Dead. Okay,
2: okay. so... If Dawn. it was
0: my three-way tie, if I had to have ties, no. it's a three-way tie. Well, if
2: I'm going to have a tie, I'm going to have Dawn of the Dead, and the Night of the Living Dead, and Day Day of the Dead are tied. But, in favor of proper ranking, yeah. I'm going to go Dawn, Night, Day.
0: Yeah? Yeah. I think that, honestly, I think that's how most people would go with it.
2: You think so? Yeah, I think so. Here's the thing, though. It's It's like...
0: Like, Dawn of the Dead is, is my favorite of the three, period. Uh, and then. And Dawn then, of the Dead
2: is just so wonderful.
0: Oh, fuck, it is so goddamn good. See, here's the thing Dawn of the Dead gets all those existential problems while still dealing with, like, oh, we're still clinging on to having relationships that matter. And, like, it is very much a, a small story about, like, just. A few people, and it's also
2: and, an adventure film where yeah. you like all the people involved, and so you care if they make it out okay. It's funny
0: It's funny as hell. It's got a lot of heart. It hurts when ev- when it's supposed to hurt. And and Day of the Dead is is definitely a larger film. We're dealing with humanity, not just these people. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with humanity as a whole, uh, which is great. I love talking about that. And Night of the Living Dead is so fucking good. It's it's where everything all comes together. Like all of those ideas, all done in a very quiet. Uh, stripped down way, it has everything that Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead have as well, um, but obviously it's not as polished and like it shouldn't be. It cost no money to make. It it was, it came out at a time when nobody had any clout whatsoever, <laughs> and uh, it's it's very hard to put that in the bottom of the list. But it's like those three movies ahead of thousands and thousands of other movies. So whatever. In in terms of zombie movies, it is these three at the top. <laughs> like there's there's no question about it. Followed by pool and Shaun of the Dead. Um, I actually haven't seen Pontypool in a long time, so maybe I should I don't it.
2: know if I would put so- uh, pool under zombies, but I guess you, you should. Could? It's kind of a
0: zombie movie. It's kind of not a zombie movie. I think we all talk about it as a zombie movie. It's kind of its own thing.
2: I'm sorry I derailed. That's okay. But I, I figured we really needed to talk about these movies as a trilogy for a little bit, and this episode is running so long. Yeah,
0: yeah. Can,
2: can I ask you?
0: Did you enjoy watching all three of these movies?
2: I really did. I'm glad. I totally did and it was it was great to see the progression of um the mythology in general. It's not often that you put on 3 decades of the invention of a creature like it's not it's I don't ever sit down and go, "You know what? I'm going to watch how Dracula came to be in mm. cinema." Yeah. And with this you get you get to see zombies be created and what they represent for different um, decades is really insightful.
0: <laughs> and it's nuts too because there are hundreds of zombie movies that come in between each of them. like in bet- between night and day on night and dawn, dawn and day. like there is no shortage of zombie movies flooding the movie theater. and yet we still have these three, which I'm sure every time then a new one came out was like, oh, I've seen this before, I've heard everything that needs to be said about zombies, I've seen it all, and then this movie blows your fucking mind, and then another one comes out ten years later, and it blows your goddamn mind. And uh, that is the greatest part about cinema, is that we will always think that everything's been done, that we've said everything that needs to be said, and we will always be wrong. Always.
2: That's, like, a really great point to kind of end on for a episode on zombies and the end of humanity <laughs> um quickly though we didn't rate day of the dead so what is your rating of day of the dead
0: 3.5 out of
2: 4 3 point yeah i'm gonna be a 3.5 out of 4 too
0: i did not think it was going to be yeah, i thought it was gonna be like oh four out of four for the special effects story and everything else is a lot lower but god damn is this movie really impressive like it, 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 an insane level of writing In so
2: many different ways too like it's kooky it's funny the, that monologue is so deep and so fucking wonderful. We watched it
0: again before recording this episode. Oh, so
2: good. And there's just, there's it's got something for everybody. It's And it's aware that it's a horror entity, and it really plays into that, which the, the previous films didn't necessarily do. I mean, Night of the Living Dead totally did, but...
4: And Gorgalore! Gorgalore!
2: Oh, uh We want to hear your rankings, though, so please yes. tweet at us at Podcast. Let us know how you rank Night, Day, and Dawn. Night, dawn, and day.
0: <laughs> I know. I always want to say night, day, dawn.
2: Oh my gosh. I don't know why. Dawn comes before day.
0: <laughs> Do you remember any of the other Romero movies? The other Romero zombie movies, like Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead?
2: And um, I think I've only seen one of the ones that came out in the 90s, and I rented it having not really known anything about it. Is it, it? that one with like,
0: John Leguizamo? What the
2: fuck is this? The zombie's I think got a it it gun. Was like Island of the Dead or something? Yeah, I, I don't remember. I don't remember.
3: We are controlling transmission. <laughs>
4: Trouble with
0: a d- <laughs> this week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by David Nora's Slasher Crasher. It's Mean Girls meets Halloween. It's Halloween. Nick Roche, a towering figure of evil and stupidity, escapes from the upstate New York mental hospital he's been committed to for the past five years. Planning return to his childhood home where he brutally murdered his babysitter's boyfriend, his plans are halted when he crossed paths with an even more terrifying beast. Two high school friends with some serious beef. Caught in a battle of loyalty that's been brewing for ten years of their friendship, the two girls Kathleen Strife and Betsy Coleman force their feud into a savage showdown, pitting the escape monster against each other. Who will survive this epic deathmatch? And is it totally wrong to fall in love with the murderous lunatic who just tried to kill your ex-best friend with a machete? Slasher Crasher is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and BlackRoseWriting.com. Also, fun fact, if you send a proof of your purchase and a screenshot of the purchase confirmation to david.nora.jr at gmail.com, he's going to send you a free digital thank you and uh, and an original artwork of your choice, either the final girl gone bad, the final bitch, or the final gay. That's slashercrasher at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, and blackrosewriting.com.
2: We're going to stick around and play a quick little game that we have put together for Patreon all about zombies. You can find that over at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film in exchange for supporting the show.
0: And of course, it is Halloween next week. Share your costumes with us. Let us know your party plans. It, you it, It's it's go time, guys. you got like a week left. If you do not... Have, if you haven't gone to Spirit and you, bought... You're
2: at duct tape point. Like, yeah. if, if you don't have a costume, you're going as an octopus and you're taping several plastic bags to your legs congratulations
0: there was one year we didn't have costumes got invited to a party and then, like within 20 minutes made sims outfits where we had like the little uh, little crystal above our heads and we had these little like health bar charts that would change throughout the night as we drank a little more and more
2: <laughs> i kept filling up the bladder <laughs>
0: <laughs> but seriously though you only have like a week and a day left until spirit closes so make sure you buy all your home decor now cuz it's
2: like 30 to 40% off probably yeah
0: and i mean like that's ikea for- for creeps so get out there buy your creepy home decor and have a dope halloween looking party
2: 365 have an amazing halloween we i have no idea what our plans are but we're gonna do something halloweeny yeah
0: we're uh we're on the road still (laughs) when this uh, when this is released so we'll either be celebrating somewhere near disney or somewhere in the midwest (laughs) either way wherever you are have a happy halloween i'm john
2: i'm kim stay Stay creepy. creepy
1: It appears you made it out alive just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at N-O-F-S podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends.